Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 25 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. Part 25. It is not to be doubted but that the worshipful persons as doctors and prebendaries of the close of york would and did resort unto him according to their duties as unto their father and patron of their spiritual dignities being at his first coming into the country their church of york being within seven miles wherefore ye shall understand that dr higdon dean of the church of york with the treasurer and divers other head officers of the same repaired to my lord welcoming him most joyously into the country saying that it was to them no small comfort to see him among them as their chief head which hath been so long absent from them being all that while like fatherless children and comfortless trusting shortly to see him among them in his own church it is quoth he the special cause of all my travel into this country not only to be among you for a time but also to spend my life with you as a very father and a mutual brother sir then quoth they ye must understand that the ordinary rules of our church hath been of an ancient custom whereof although ye be head and chief governor yet be ye not so well acquainted with them as we be therefore we shall under the supportation of your grace declare some part thereof to you as well of our ancient customs as of the laws and usage of the same therefore ye shall understand that where ye do intend to repair unto us the old law and custom of our church hath been that the archbishop being our chief head and pastor as your grace now be might nor ought not to come before the choir door nor have any stall in the choir until he by due order were there stalled for if ye should happen to die before your stallation ye shall not be buried above in the choir but in the body of the same church beneath therefore we shall una voce require your grace in the name of all other our brethren that you will vouchsafe to do herein as your noble predecessors and honorable fathers hath done and that ye will not infringe or violate any of our laudable ordinances and constitutions of our church to the observance and preservation whereof we be obliged by virtue of an oath at our first admittance to see them observed and fulfilled to the uttermost of our powers with divers other matters remaining of record in our treasury house among other things those records quoth my lord would i gladly see and these seen and digested i shall then show you further of my mind and thus of this matter they ceased communication and passed forth in other matters so that my lord assigned them a day to bring in their records at which day they brought with them their register book of records wherein was written their constitutions and ancient rules 
whereunto all the fathers and ministers of the Church of York were most chiefly bound, both to see it done and performed, and also to perform and observe the same themselves. And when my lord had seen, read, and considered the effect of their records, and debated with them substantially therein, he determined to be stalled there in the minister the next Monday after All Hallowen Day, against which day there was made necessary preparation for the furniture thereof, but not in so sumptuous a wise as his predecessors did before him, nor yet in such a sort as the common fame was blown abroad of him to his great slander, and to the reporters much more dishonesty to forge such lies and blasphemous reports wherein there is nothing more untrue. The truth whereof I perfectly know, for I was made privy to the same, and sent to York to foresee all things, and to prepare according for the same, which should have been much more mean and base than all other of his predecessors heretofore hath done. It came to pass that upon all Hallowen Day, one of the head officers of the church, which should, by virtue of his office, have most doings in this stellation, was to dine with my lord at Cawood, and sitting at dinner they fell in communication for the order of his stellation, who said to my lord that he ought to go upon cloth from St. James Chapel, standing without the gates of the city of York, unto the minster, the which should be distributed among the poor. My lord, hearing this, made answer to the same in this wise. Although, quoth he, that our predecessors went upon cloth right sumptuously, we do intend, God willing, to go afoot from thence without any such glory in the vamps of my hosen. For I take God to be my very judge that I presume not to go thither for any triumph or vainglory, but only to fulfill the observance and rules of the church to the which, as ye say, I am bound, and therefore I shall desire you all to hold you contented with my simplicity, and also I command all my servants to go as humbly, without any other sumptuous apparel, than they be customly used, and that is comely and decent to wear. For I do assure you, I do intend to come to York upon Sunday at night, and lodge there in the dean's house, and upon Monday to be stalled, and there to make a dinner for you of the close, and for other worshipful gentlemen that shall chance to come to me at that time, and the next day to dine with the mayor, and so return home again to Cawood that night, and thus to finish the same, whereby I may at all times resort to York Minster, without other scrupulosity or offence to any of you." This day could not be unknown to all the country, but that some must needs have knowledge thereof, whereby that notice was given unto the gentlemen of the country, and they being thereof as well advertised as abbots, priors, and others, of the day of this solemnization, sent in such provision of dainty victuals that it is almost incredible, whereof I omit to declare unto you the certainty thereof as of great and fat beeves, muttons, wildfowl, and venison, both red and fallow, and divers other dainty meats, such as the time of the year did serve, sufficient to furnish a great and a sumptuous feast, all which things were unknown to my lord, forasmuch as he being prevented and disappointed of his reasonable proposed intent, because he was arrested, as ye shall hear hereafter, 
so that the most part of this provision was sent to york that same day that he was arrested and the next day following for his arrest was kept as close and secret from the country as it could be because they doubted the people which had him in great love and estimation for his accustomed charity and liberality used daily among them with familiar gesture and countenance which be the very means to allure the love and hearts of the people in the north parts wherever i weighed any further in this matter i do intend to declare unto you what chanced him before this his last trouble at Kaywood, as a sign or token given by god what should follow of his end or of trouble which did shortly ensue the sequel whereof was of no man then present either premeditate or imagined therefore for as much as it is a noble thing to be considered i will god willing declare it as truly as it chanced according to my simple remembrance at the which i myself was present end of section twenty five Section 26 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 26. My lord's accustomed enemies, in the court about the king, had now my lord in more doubt than they had before his fall, considering the continual favor that the king bare him, thought that at length the king might call him home again, and if he so did they supposed that he would rather imagine against them than to remit or forget their cruelty which they most unjustly imagined against him wherefore they compassed in their heads that they would either by some means dispatch him by some sinister accusation of treason or to bring him into the king's high indignation by some other ways this was their daily imagination and study having as many spiels and as many eyes to attend upon his doings as the poets feign argus to have so that he could neither work nor do anything that his enemies had knowledge thereof shortly after now at last they espied a time wherein they caught an occasion to bring their purpose to pass thinking thereby to have of him a great advantage for the matter being once disclosed unto the king in such a vehemency as they proposed they thought the king would be moved against him with great displeasure and that by them executed and done the king upon their information thought it good that he should come up to stand his trial which they liked nothing at all notwithstanding he was sent for after this sort first they devised that he should come up upon arrest in ward which they knew right well would so sore grieve him that he might be the weaker to come into the king's presence to make answer. Wherefore they sent Sir Walter Walsh, knight, one of the gentlemen of the king's privy chamber, down into the country unto the Earl of Northumberland, who was brought up in my lord's house, and they twain being in commission jointly to arrest my lord of haute treason. This conclusion fully resolved, they caused master walsh to prepare himself to this journey with this commission and certain instructions annexed to the same who made him ready to ride and took his horse at the court gate about one of the clock at noon upon all hallown day towards the north 
now am i come to the place where i will declare the thing that i promised you before of a certain token of my lord's troubles which was this my lord sitting at dinner upon all hallowen day in cawood castle having at his board's end divers of his most worthiest chaplains sitting at dinner to keep him company for lack of strangers ye shall understand that my lord's great cross of silver accustomedly stood in the corner at the table's end leaning against the tappet or hanging of the chamber and when the table's end was taken up and a convenient time for them to arise in arising from the table one dr augustine physician being a venetian born having a boisterous gown of black velvet upon him as he would have come out at the table's end his gown overthrew the cross that stood there in the corner and the cross railing down along the tappet it chanced to fall upon dr bonner's head who stood among others by the tappet making of curtsy to my lord and with one of the points of the cross raised his head a little that the blood ran out the company standing there were greatly astonished with the chance my lord sitting in his chair looking upon them perceiving the chance demanded of me being next to him what the matter meant of their sudden abashment i showed him how the cross fell upon dr bonner's head hath it quoth he drawn any blood yea forsooth my lord quoth i as it seemeth me with that he cast down his head looking very soberly upon me a good while without any word speaking at the last quoth he shaking of his head malum omen and therewith said grace and rose from the table and went into his bedchamber there lamenting making his prayers now mark the signification how my lord expounded this matter unto me afterward at pomfret abbey first ye shall understand that the cross which belonged to the dignity of york he understood to be himself and by augustine he understood that overthrew the cross to be he that should accuse him by means whereof he should be overthrown the falling upon master bonner's head who was master of my lord's faculties and spiritual jurisdictions which was damnified by the overthrow of the cross by the physician and by the drawing of blood betokeneth death which shortly after came to pass about the very time of the day of this mischance master walsh took his horse at the court gate as nigh as it could be judged and thus my lord took it for a very sign or token of that which after ensued if the circumstance be equally considered and noted although no man was there present at that time that had any knowledge of master walsh's coming down or what should follow wherefore as it was supposed that god showed him more secret knowledge of his latter days and end of his trouble than all men supposed which appeared right well by divers talks that he had with me at divers times of his last end and now that i have declared unto you the effect of this prodigy and sign i will return again to my matter the time drawing nigh of his stolation sitting at dinner upon the friday next before monday on the which he intended to be stalled at york the earl of northumberland and master walsh with a great company of gentlemen as well of the earl's servants as of the country which he had gathered together to accompany him in the king's name not knowing to what purpose or what intent came into the hall at cawood 
the officers sitting at dinner, and my lord not fully dined, but being at his fruits, nothing knowing of the earl's being in his hall. The first thing that the earl did, after he came into the castle, commanded the porter to deliver him the keys of the gates, who would in no wise deliver him the keys, although he were very roughly commanded in the king's name to deliver them to one of the earl's servants, saying unto the earl, Sir, ye do intend to deliver them to one of your servants to keep them and the gates, and to plant another in my room. I know no cause why ye should do so, and this I assure you that you have no one servant, but that I am as able to keep them as he, to what purpose soever it be, and also the keys were delivered me by my lord my master, with a charge both by oath and by other precepts and commandments. Therefore I beseech your lordship to pardon me, though I refuse your commandment. For whatsoever ye shall command me to do that belongeth to my office, I shall do it with a right good will as justly as any other of your servants. With that quoth the gentleman there present unto the earl, hearing him speak so stoutly like a man, and with so good reason, sir quoth they he is a good fellow and speaketh like a faithful servant unto his master and like an honest man therefore give him your charge and let him keep still the gates who we doubt not will be obedient to your lordship's commandment well then quoth the earl hold him a book and commanded him to lay his hand upon the book whereat the porter made some doubt but being persuaded by the gentleman there present was contented, and laid his hand upon the book, to whom, quoth the earl, Thou shalt swear to keep well and truly these gates to the king our sovereign lord's use, and to do all such things as we shall command thee in the king's name, being his highness's commissioners, and as it shall seem to us at all times good, as long as we shall be here in this castle and that ye shall not let in or out at these gates, but such as ye shall be commanded by us from time to time. And upon this oath he received the keys at the earl's and Master Walsh's hands. Of all these doings knew my lord nothing, for they stopped the stairs that went up into my lord's chamber where he sat, so that no man could pass up again that was come down. At the last one of my lord's servants chanced to look down into the hall at a loop that was upon the stairs, and returned to my lord and showed him that my lord of Northumberland was in the hall, whereat my lord marvelled, and would not believe him at the first, but commanded a gentleman, being his gentleman usher, to go down and bring him perfect word, who going down the stairs, looking down at the loop where he saw the earl, who then returned to my lord, and showed him that it was very he. Then, quoth my lord, I am sorry that we have dined, for I fear that our officers be not stored of any plenty of good fish to make him such honorable cheer as to his estate is convenient, notwithstanding he shall have such as we have, with a right good will and loving heart. Let the table be standing still, and we will go down and meet him and bring him up and then he shall see how far forth we be at our dinner. With that he put the table from him and rose up. Going down he encountered the earl upon the midst of the stairs coming up, with all his men about him. And as soon as my lord espied the earl, he put off his cap and said to him, 
my lord ye be most heartily welcome and therewith they embraced each other although my lord quoth he that i have often desired and wished in my heart to see you in my house yet if ye had loved me as i do you ye would have sent me word before of your coming to the intent that i might have received you according to your honor and mine notwithstanding ye shall have such cheer as i am able to make with you with a right good will trusting that ye will accept the same of me as of your very old and loving friend hoping hereafter to see you often when i shall be more able and better provided to receive you with better fare and then my lord took the earl of northumberland by the hand and led him up into the chamber whom followed all the earl's servants when the table stood in the state that my lord left it when he arose saying unto the earl sir now ye may perceive how far forth we are at our dinner then my lord led the earl to the fire saying my lord ye shall go into my bedchamber where is a good fire made for you and there you may shift your apparel until your chamber be made ready therefore let your mail be brought up and or ever i go i pray you give me leave to take these gentlemen your servants by the hands and when he had taken them all by the hands he returned to the earl and said ah my lord i perceived well that ye have observed my old precepts and instructions which i gave you when you were abiding with me in your youth which was to cherish your father's old servants whereof i see here present with you a great number surely my lord ye do therein very well and nobly and like a wise gentleman for these be they that will not only serve and love you but they will also live and die with you and be true and faithful servants to you and glad to see you prosper in honor the which i beseech god to send you with long life this said he took the earl by the hand and led him into his bedchamber and they being there all alone save only i that kept the door according to my duty being gentleman usher these two lords standing at a window by the chimney in my lord's bedchamber the earl trembling said with a very faint and soft voice unto my lord laying his hand upon his arm my lord i arrest you of high treason with which words my lord was marvelously astonished standing both still a long space without any further words but at the last quoth my lord what moveth you or by what authority do you this forsooth my lord quoth the earl i have a commission to warrant me and my doings where is your commission quoth my lord let me see it nay sir that you may not quoth the earl well then quoth my lord i will not obey your arrest for there hath been between some of your predecessors and mine great contention and debate grown upon an ancient grudge which may succeed in you with like inconvenience as it hath done heretofore therefore unless i see your authority and commission i will not obey you even as they were debating this matter between them in the chamber so busily was master walsh arresting of dr augustine the physician at the door within the portal whom i heard say unto him go in thou traitor or i shall make thee and with that i opened the portal door 
and the same being opened, Master Walsh thrust Dr. Augustine in before him with violence. These matters on both the sides astonished me very sore, musing what all this should mean, until at last Master Walsh, being entered the chamber, began to pluck off his hood, the which he had made him with a coat of the same cloth of cotton, to the intent he would not be known, and after he had plucked it off, he kneeled down to my lord, to whom my lord spake first, commanding him to stand up, saying thus, Sir, here my lord of Northumberland hath arrested me of treason, but by what authority or commission he showeth me not, but saith he hath one. If ye be prithee thereto, or be joined with him therein, I pray you show me. Indeed, my lord, quoth Master Walsh, if it please your grace, it is true that he hath one. Well, then, said my lord, I pray you let me see it. Sir, I beseech your grace, hold us excused, quoth Master Walsh. There is annexed unto our commission a schedule with certain instructions which ye may in no wise be privy unto. Why, quoth my lord, be your instructions such that I may not see them? Peradventure, if I might be privy to them, I could be better help to you to perform them. It is not unknown unto you both, I am assured, but I have been privy and of counsel in as weighty matters as this is, for I doubt not, for my part, but I shall prove and clear myself to be a true man against the expectation of all my cruel enemies. I have an understanding whereupon all this matter groweth. Well, there is more to do. I trow, gentlemen, ye be one of the king's privy chamber. Your name, I suppose, is Walsh. I am content to yield unto you, but not to my lord of Northumberland, without I see his commission. And also you are a sufficient commissioner yourself in that behalf, inasmuch as ye be one of the king's privy chamber. For the worst person there is a sufficient warrant to arrest the greater peer of this realm, by the king's only commandment, without any commission. Therefore I am ready to be ordered and disposed at your will. Put therefore the king's commission and your authority in execution, a god's name, and spare not, and I will obey the king's will and pleasure. For I fear more the cruelty of my unmerciful enemies than I do my truth and allegiance, wherein I take God to witness. I never offended the king's majesty in word or deed, and therein I dare stand face to face with any man alive, having indifferency without partiality. Then came my lord of Northumberland unto me, standing at the portal door, and commanded me to avoid the chamber. And being both loath to depart from my master, I stood still, and would not remove, to whom he spake again, and said, There is no remedy, ye must needs depart. With that I looked upon my lord, as who saith, Shall I go? Upon whom my lord looked very heavily, and shook at me his head. Perceiving by his countenance it booted me not to abide, and so I departed the chamber, and went into the next chamber, where abode many gentlemen of my fellows, and other, to learn of me some news of the matter within, to whom I made report what I saw and heard, which was to them great heaviness to hear. Then the earl called divers gentlemen into the chamber, which were for the most part of his own servants, 
and after the earl and master walsh had taken the keys of all my lord's coffers from him they gave the charge and custody of my lord's person unto these gentlemen they departed and went about the house to set all things in order that night against the next morning intending then to depart from thence with my lord being saturday the which they deferred until sunday because all things could not be brought to pass as they would have it they went busily about to convey dr augustine away to londonward with as much speed as they could sending with him divers honest persons to conduct him who was tied under the horse's belly and this done when it was night the commissioners assigned two grooms of my lord's to attend upon him in his chamber that night where they lay and the most part of the rest of the earl's gentlemen and servants watched in the next chamber and about the house continually until the morrow and the porter kept the gates so that no man could go in nor out until the next morning at which time my lord rose up supposing that he should have departed that day howbeit he was kept close secretly in his chamber expecting continually his departure from thence then the earl sent for me into his own chamber and being there he commanded me to go in to my lord and there to give attendance upon him and charged me upon an oath that i should observe certain articles and going away from him toward my lord i met with master walsh in the court who called me unto him and led me into his chamber and there showed me that the king's highness bare towards me his princely favor for my diligent and true service that i daily ministered towards my lord and master wherefore quoth he the king's pleasure is that ye shall be about your master as most chiefest person in whom his highness putteth great confidence and assured trust whose pleasure is therefore that ye shall be sworn unto his majesty to observe certain articles in writing the which i would deliver you sir quoth i my lord of northumberland hath already sworn me to divers articles yea quoth he but my lord could not deliver you the articles in writing as i am commanded specially to do therefore i deliver you this bill with these articles the which ye shall be sworn to fulfil sir then quoth i i pray you to give me leave to peruse them or ever i be sworn to see if i be able to perform them with a right good will quoth he and when i had perused them and understood that they were but reasonable and tolerable i answered that i was contented to obey the king's pleasure and to be sworn to the performance of them and so he gave me a new oath and then i resorted to my lord where he was in his chamber sitting in a chair the tables being covered for him ready to go to dinner but as soon as he perceived me coming in he fell into such a woeful lamentation with such rueful terms and watery eyes that it would have caused the flintiest heart to have relented and burst for sorrow and as i and other could we comforted him but it would not be for quoth he now that i see this gentleman meaning me how faithful how diligent and how painful since the beginning of my trouble he hath served me abandoning his own country his wife and children his house and family his rest and quietness only to serve me 
and remembering with myself that I have nothing to reward him for his honest merits, grieveth me not a little, and also the sight of him putteth me in remembrance of the number of my faithful servants that I have here remaining with me in this house, whom I did intend to have preferred and advanced to the best of my power from time to time as occasion should serve. But now, alas, I am prevented and have nothing left me to reward them, for all is deprived me, and I am left here their desolate and miserable master, bare and wretched, without help or succor, but of God's alone. How be it, quoth he to me, calling me by my name, I am a true man, and therefore ye shall never receive shame of me for your service. I, perceiving his heaviness and lamentable words, said thus unto him, my lord, I mistrust nothing your truth, and for the same I dare and will be sworn before the king's person and his honorable counsel. Wherefore, kneeling upon my knees before him, said, My lord, comfort yourself, and be of good cheer. The malice of your uncharitable enemies, nor their untruth, shall never prevail against your truth and faithfulness. For I doubt not, but coming once to your answer, my hope is such that ye shall so acquit and clear yourself of all their surmised and feigned accusations, that it shall be to the king's contentation, and much to your advancement and restitution of your former dignity and estate. Yea, quoth he, if I may come to mine answer, I fear no man alive, for he liveth not unto the earth that shall look upon this face, pointing to his own face, shall be able to accuse me of any untruth, and that knoweth mine enemies full well, which will be an occasion that I shall not have indifferent justice, but they will rather seek some other sinister ways to destroy me. Sir, quoth I, ye need not therein doubt, the king being so much your good lord, as he hath always showed himself to be in all your troubles. With that came up my lord's meat, and so we left our communication. I gave him water, and sat him down to dinner, with whom sat divers of the earl's gentlemen, notwithstanding my lord did eat very little meat, but would many times burst out suddenly in tears, with the most sorrowfulest words that hath been heard of any woeful creature. And at the last he fetched a great sigh from the bottom of his heart, saying these words of scripture o constantia martyrum laudabilis o caritas inextinguibilis o patientia invisibilis quae licet inter pressuras persequentium visasit despicabilis invenietur in laudem et gloriam ac honorem in tempora tribulationis and thus passed he forth his dinner in great lamentation and heaviness, who was more fed and moistened with sorrow and tears than with either pleasant meats or delicate drinks. I suppose there was not a dry eye among all the gentlemen sitting at the table with him, and when the table was taken up it was showed my lord that he could not remove that night, who expected none other all that day. Quoth he, even when it shall seem my lord of Northumberland good. End of section 26
Section 27 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 27. The next day, being Sunday, my lord prepared himself to ride when he should be commanded, and after dinner, by that time that the earl had appointed all things in good order within the castle, it drew fast to night. There was assigned to attend upon him five of us, his own servants, and no more. That was to say I, one chaplain, his barber, and two grooms of his chamber. And when he should go down the stairs out of the great chamber, my lord demanded for the rest of his servants. The earl answered that they were not far, the which he had enclosed within the chapel, because they should not disquiet his departure. Sir, I pray you, quoth my lord, let me see them, or ever I depart, or else I will never go out of this house. Alack, my lord, quoth the earl, they should trouble you, therefore I beseech you to content yourself. Well, quoth my lord, then will I not depart out of this house, but I will see them, and take my leave of them in this chamber. And his servants being enclosed in the chapel, having understanding of my lord's departing away, and that they should not see him before his departure, began to grudge, and to make such a rueful noise that the commissioners doubted some tumult or inconvenience to arise by reason thereof, thought it good to let them pass out to my lord, and that done they came to him into the great chamber where he was, and there they kneeled down before him, among whom was not one dry eye, but pitifully lamented their master's fall and trouble to whom my lord gave comfortable words and worthy praises for their diligent faithfulness and honest truth towards him, assuring them that what chances soever should happen unto him, that he was a true man and a just to his sovereign lord, and thus with a lamentable manner shaking each of them by the hands, was fain to depart. The night drew so fast upon them. My lord's mule and our horses were ready brought into the inner court where we mounted, and, coming to the gate which was shut, the porter opened the same to let us pass, where was ready, attending, a great number of gentlemen with their servants, such as the earl assigned to conduct and attend upon his person that night to Pomfret, and so forth, as ye shall hear hereafter. But to tell you of the number of people of the country that were assembled at the gates which lamented his departing was wondrous which was about the number of three thousand persons, who at the opening of the gates, after they had a sight of his person, cried all with a loud voice, God save your grace! God save your grace! The foul evil take them all that hath thus taken you from us. We pray God that a very vengeance may light upon them. Thus they ran, crying after him through the town of Cawood, they loved him so well. For surely they had a great loss of him, both the poor and the rich, for the poor had of him great relief, and the rich lacked his counsel in any business that they had to do, which caused him to have such love among them in the country. Then rode he with his conductors towards Pomfret, and by the way as he rode he asked me if I had any familiar acquaintance among these gentlemen that rode with him. Yea, sir, said I, what is your pleasure? Marry, quoth he, 
I have left a thing behind me which I would fain have. Sir, said I, if I knew what it were, I would send for it out of hand. Then, said he, let the messenger go to my lord of Northumberland, and desire him to send me the red buckram bag lying in my almery in my chamber, sealed with my seal. With that I departed from him, and went straight unto one Sir Roger Lassell's knight, who was then steward to the Earl of Northumberland, being among the rout of horsemen as one of the chiefest rulers, whom I desired to send some of his servants back unto the Earl his master for that purpose, the which granted most gently my request, and sent incontinent one of his servants unto my lord to Cawood for the said bag, who did so honestly his message, that he brought the same to my lord immediately after he was in his chamber within the abbey of Pomfret, where he lay all night, in which bag was no other thing enclosed but three shirts of hair, which he delivered to the chaplain, his ghostly father, very secretly. Furthermore, as we rode towards Pomfret, my lord demanded of me whither they would lead him that night. Forsooth, sir, quoth I, but to Pomfret. Alas, quoth he, shall I go to the castle and lie there and die like a beast? Sir, I can tell you no more what they do intend, but I will inquire here among these gentlemen of a special friend of mine who is chief of all their council. With that I repaired unto the said Sir Roger Lassell's knight, desiring him most earnestly that he would vouchsafe to show me whither my lord should go to be lodged that night, who answered me again that my lord should be lodged within the abbey of Pomfret and in none other place, and so I reported to my lord, who was glad thereof, so that within night we came to Pomfret Abbey and there lodged and the earl remained still all that night in Cawood Castle to see the dispatch of the household, and to establish all the stuff in some surety within the same. The next day they removed with my lord towards Doncaster, desiring that he might come thither by night, because the people followed him, weeping and lamenting. And so they did nevertheless, although he came in by torchlight, crying, God save your grace! God save your grace! my good lord cardinal running before him with candles in their hands who caused me therefore to ride hard by his mule to shadow him from the people and yet they perceived him cursing his enemies and thus they brought him to the blackfriars within the which they lodged him that night and the next day we removed to sheffield park where the earl of shrewsbury lay within the lodge and all the way thitherward the people cried and lamented as they did in all places as we rode before. And when we came to the park of Sheffield, nigh to the lodge, my lord of Shrewsbury, with my lady, his wife, a train of gentlewomen, and all my lord's gentlemen and yeomen, standing without the gates of the lodge to attend my lord's coming, to receive him with much honor, whom the earl embraced, saying these words, My lord, quoth he, your grace is most heartily welcome unto me, and glad to see you in my poor lodge, the which I have often desired, and much more gladder if you had come after another sort. Ah, my gentle lord of Shrewsbury, quoth my lord, I heartily thank you, and although I have no cause to rejoice, yet as a sorrowful heart may joy I rejoice, 
my chance which is so good to come unto the hands and custody of so noble a person whose approved honor and wisdom hath been always right well known to all noble estates and sir howsoever my ungentle accusers hath used their accusations against me yet i assure you and so before your lordship and all the world i do protest that my demeanor and proceedings hath been just and loyal towards my sovereign and liege lord and whose behavior and doings your lordship hath had good experience and even according to my truth and faithfulness so i beseech god to help me in this my calamity i doubt nothing of your truth quoth the earl therefore my lord i beseech you be of good cheer and fear not for i have received letters from the king of his own hand in your favor and entertaining the which ye shall see sir i am nothing sorry but that i have not wherewith worthily to receive you and to entertain you according to your honor and my good will but such as i have ye are most heartily welcome thereto desiring you to accept my good will accordingly for i will not receive you as a prisoner but as my good lord and the king's true faithful subject and here is my wife come to salute you whom my lord kissed bareheaded and all her gentlewomen and took my lord's servants by the hands as well gentlemen and yeomen as other then these two lords went arm and arm into the lodge conducting my lord into a fair chamber at the end of a goodly gallery within a new tower where my lord was lodged there was also in the midst of the same gallery a traverse of sarcenet drawn so that the one part was preserved for my lord and the other part for the earl then departed all the great number of gentlemen and other that conducted my lord to the earl of shrewsbury's and my lord being there continued there eighteen days after upon whom the earl appointed divers gentlemen of his servants to serve my lord for as much as he had a small number of servants there to serve and also to see that he lacked nothing that he would desire being served in his own chamber at dinner and supper as honorably and with as many dainty dishes as he had most commonly in his own house being at liberty and once every day the earl would escort unto him and sit with him communing upon a bench in a great window in the gallery and though the earl would right heartily comfort him yet would he lament so piteously that it would make the earl very sorry and heavy for his grief sir said he i have and daily do receive letters from the king commanding me to entertain you as one that he loveth and highly favoreth whereby i perceive ye do lament without any great cause much more than ye need to do and though ye be accused as i think in good faith unjustly yet the king can do no less but put you to your trial the which is more for the satisfying of some persons than for any mistrust that he hath in your doings alas quoth my lord to the earl is it not a piteous case that any man should so wrongfully accuse me unto the king's person and not to come to mine answer before his majesty for i am well assured my lord that there is no man alive or dead that looketh in this face of mine who is able to accuse me of 
any disloyalty towards the king. Oh, how much it grieveth me that the king should have any suspicious opinion in me, to think that I would be false or conspire any evil to his royal person, who may well consider that I have no assured friend in all the world in whom I put my trust, but only in his grace. For if I should go about to betray my sovereign lord and prince, in whom is all my trust and confidence before all other persons, all men might justly think and report that I lacked not only grace, but also both wit and discretion. Nay, nay, my lord, I would rather adventure to shed my heart-blood in his defense, as I am bound to do, by mine allegiance, and also for the safeguard of myself, than to imagine his destruction. For he is my staff that supporteth me, and the wall that defendeth me against my malignant enemies and all other, who knoweth best my truth before all men, and hath had thereof best and longest experience. Therefore, to conclude, it is not to be thought that ever I would go about, or intend maliciously or traitorously to travail or with any prejudice or damage to his royal person or imperial dignity but as i said defend it with the shedding of my heart-blood and procure all men so to do and it were but only for the defence of mine own person and simple estate though with which mine enemies think i do so much esteem having none other refuge to flee to for defence or succour in all adversity but under the shadow of his majesty's wing alas my lord i was in a good estate now and in case of a quiet living right well content therewith but the enemy that never sleepeth but studieth and continually imagineth both sleeping and waking my utter destruction perceiving the contentation of my mind, doubted that their malicious and cruel dealings would at length grow to their shame and rebuke, goeth about, therefore, to prevent the same with shedding of my blood. But from God, that knoweth the secrets of their hearts and of all others, it cannot be hid, nor yet unrewarded, when he shall see opportunity. For, my good Lord, if you will show yourself so much my good friend as to require the king's majesty by your letters that my accusers may come before my face in his presence and there that i may make answer i doubt not but ye shall see me acquit myself of all their malicious accusations and utterly confound them for they shall never be able to prove by any due probations that ever i offended the king in will thought and deed therefore i desire you and most heartily require your good lordship to be a mean for me that i may answer unto my accusers before the king's majesty the case is his and if their accusations should be true then should it touch no man but him most earnestly wherefore it were most convenient that he should hear it himself in proper person but I fear me that they do intend rather to dispatch me than I should come before him in his presence, for they be well assured and very certain that my truth should vanquish their untruth and surmised accusations, 
which is the special cause that moveth me so earnestly to desire to make mine answer before the king's majesty the loss of goods the slander of my name nor yet all my trouble grieveth me nothing so much as the loss of the king's favor and that he should have in me such an opinion without desert of untruth that hath with such travail and pain served his highness so justly so painfully and with so faithful an heart to his profit and honor at all times and also again the truth of my doings against their unjust accusations proved most just and loyal should be much to my honesty and do me more good than to attain great treasure as i doubt not but it will if they might be indifferently heard now my good lord weigh ye my reasonable request and let charity and truth move your noble heart with pity to help me in all this my truth wherein ye shall take no manner of slander or rebuke by the grace of god well then quoth my lord of shrewsbury i will write to the king's majesty in your behalf declaring to him by my letters how grievously ye lament his displeasure and indignation and what request ye make for the trial of your truth towards his highness thus after these communications and divers others as between them daily was accustomed they departed asunder where my lord continued the space after of a fortnight having goodly and honorable entertainment whom the earl would often require him to kill a doe or two there in the park who always refused all manner of earthly pleasures and disports either in hunting or in other games but applied his prayers continually very devoutly so that it came to pass that a certain season sitting at dinner in his own chamber having at his board's end that same day as he divers times had to accompany him a mess of the earl's gentlemen and chaplains and eating of roasted wardens at the end of his dinner before whom i stood at the table dressing of those wardens for him beholding of him perceived his color often to change and alter divers times whereby i judged him not to be in health which caused me to lean over the table saying unto him softly sir me seems your grace is not well at ease he answered again and said forsooth no more i am for i am quoth he suddenly taken about my stomach with a thing that lieth overthward my breast as cold as a whetstone the which is but wind therefore i pray you take up the cloth and make ye a short dinner and resort shortly again unto me and after that the table was taken up i went and sat the waiters to dinner without in the gallery and resorted again to my lord where i found him still sitting where i left him very evil at ease notwithstanding he was in communication with the gentleman sitting at the board's end and as soon as i was entered the chamber he desired me to go down to the apothecary and to inquire of him whether he had anything that would break wind upward and according to his commandment i went my way towards the apothecary and by the way i remembered one article of mine oath before made unto master walsh which caused me first to go to the earl and showed him both what estate he was in and also what he desired at the apothecary's hand for his relief 
with that the earl caused the apothecary to be called incontinent before him and whom he demanded whether he had anything to break wind that troubleth one in his breast and he answered that he had such gear then quoth the earl fetch me some hither the which the apothecary brought in a white paper a certain white confection unto the earl who commanded me to give the assay thereof to the apothecary and so i did before him and then i departed therewith bringing it to my lord before whom i took also the assay thereof and delivered the same to my lord who received the same wholly altogether at once and immediately after he had received the same surely he voided exceeding much wind upward lo quoth he now ye may see that it was but wind but by the means of this receipt i am i thank god well eased and so he rose from the table and went to his prayers as he accustomably did after dinner and being at his prayers there came upon him such a lask that it caused him to go to his stool and being there the earl sent for me and at my coming he said forasmuch as i have always perceived you to be a man in whom my lord your master hath great affiance and for my experience knowing you to be an honest man with many more words of commendation than need here to be rehearsed said it is so that my lord your lamentable master hath often desired me to write to the king's majesty that he might come unto his presence to make answer to his accusations and even so have i done for this day have i received letters from his grace by sir william kingston knight whereby i do perceive that the king hath in him very good opinion and upon my often request he hath sent for him by the said sir william kingston to come up to answer according to his own desire who is in his chamber wherefore now is the time come that my lord hath often desired to try himself and his truth as i trust much to his honor and i put no doubt in so doing that it shall be for him the best journey that ever he made in all his life therefore now would i have you to play the part of a wise man to break first this matter unto him so wittily and in such sort that he might take it quietly in good part for he is ever so full of sorrow and dolour in my company that i fear me he will take it in evil part and then he doth not well for i assure you and so show him that the king is his good lord and hath given me the most worthy thanks for his entertainment desiring and commanding me so to continue not doubting but that he will right nobly acquit himself towards his highness therefore go your ways to him and so persuade with him that i may find him in good quiet at my coming for i will not tarry long after you sir quoth i i shall if it please your lordship endeavor me to accomplish your commandment to the best of my power but sir i doubt one thing that when i shall name sir william kingston he will mistrust that all is not well because he is constable of the tower and captain of the guard having twenty-four of the guard to attend upon him marry it is truth quoth the earl what thereof though he be constable of the tower yet he is the most meetest man for his wisdom and discretion to be sent about any such message and for the guard 
it is for none other purpose but only to defend him against all them that would intend him any evil either in word or deed and also they be all or for the most part such of his old servants as the king took of late into his service to the intent that they should wait upon him most justly and doth know best how to serve him well sir said i i will do what i can and so departed toward my lord end of section twenty seven section twenty eight of the life and death of cardinal wolsey this librivox recording is in the public domain read by john greenman part twenty eight and at my repair i found him sitting at the upper end of the gallery upon a trussing chest of his own with his beads and staff in his hands and espying me coming from the earl he demanded of me what news forsooth sir quoth i the best news that ever came to you if your grace can take it well i pray god it be what is it quoth he forsooth sir quoth i my lord of shrewsbury perceiving by your often communication that ye were always desirous to come before the king's majesty and now as your most assured friend hath travailed so with his letters unto the king that the king hath sent for you by master kingston and twenty-four of the guard to conduct you to his highness master kingston quoth he rehearsing his name once or twice and with that clapped his hand on his thigh and gave a great sigh sir quoth i if your grace could or would take all things in good part it should be much better for you content yourself for god's sake and think that god and your friends hath wrought for you according to your own desire did ye not always wish that ye might clear yourself before the king's person now that god and your friends hath brought your desire to pass ye will not take it thankfully if ye consider your truth and loyalty unto our sovereign lord against the which your enemies cannot prevail the king being your good lord as he is you know well that the king can do no less than he doth you being to his highness accused of some heinous crime but cause you to be brought to your trial and there to receive according to your demerits the which his highness trusteth and saith no less but that you shall prove yourself a just man to his majesty wherein ye have more cause to rejoice than thus to lament or mistrust his favorable justice for i assure you your enemies be more in doubt and fear of you than you of them that they wish that thing that i trust they shall never be able to bring to pass with all their wits the king as i said before being your indifferent and singular good lord and friend and to prove that he is so see ye not how he hath sent gentle master kingston for you with such men as were your old true servants and yet be as far as it becometh them to be only to attend upon you for the want of your own servants willing also master kingston to reverence you with as much honor as was due to you in your high estate and to convey you by such easy journeys as ye shall command him to do and that ye shall have all your desires and commandments by the way in every place to your grace's contentation and honor 
wherefore sir i humbly beseech your grace to imprint all these just persuasions with many other imminent occasions in your discretion and be of good cheer i most humbly with my faithful heart require your grace wherewith ye shall principally comfort yourself and next give all your friends and to me and other of your servants good hope of your good speed well well then quoth he i perceive more than ye can imagine or do know experience of old hath taught me and therewith he rose up and went into his chamber to his close stool the flux troubled him so sore and when he had done he came out again and immediately my lord of shrewsbury came into the gallery unto him with whom my lord met and then they both sitting down upon a bench in a great window the earl asked him how he did and he most lamentably as he was accustomed answered thanking him for his gentle entertainment sir quoth the earl if ye remember ye have often wished in my company to make answer before the king and i as desirous to help your request as you to wish bearing towards you my good will have written especially to the king in your behalf making him also privy of your lamentable sorrow that ye inwardly receive for his high displeasure who accepteth all things and your doings therein as friends be accustomed to do in such cases wherefore i would advise you to pluck up your heart and be not aghast of your enemies who i assure you have you in more doubt than ye would think perceiving that the king is fully minded to have the hearing of your case before his own person now sir if ye can be of good cheer i doubt not but this journey which ye shall take towards his highness shall be much to your advancement and an overthrow of your enemies the king hath sent for you by that worshipful knight master kingston and with him twenty-four of your old servants who be now of the guard to defend you against your unknown enemies to the intent that ye may safely come unto his majesty sir quoth my lord as i suppose master kingston is constable of the tower yea what of that quoth the earl i assure you he is only appointed by the king for one of your friends and for a discreet gentleman as most worthy to take upon him the safe conduct of your person for without fail the king favoreth you much more and beareth towards you a secret special favor far otherwise than ye do take it well sir quoth my lord as god will so be it i am subject to fortune and to fortune i submit myself being a true man ready to accept such ordinances as god hath provided for me and there an end sir i pray you where is master kingston marry quoth the earl if you will i will send for him who would most gladly see you i pray you then quoth my lord send for him at whose message he came incontinent and as soon as my lord espied him coming into the gallery he made haste to encounter him master kingston came towards him with much reverence and at his approach he kneeled down and saluted him on the king's behalf whom my lord bareheaded offered to take up but he still kneeled then quoth my lord master kingston i pray you stand up and 
leave your kneeling unto a very wretch replete with misery not worthy to be esteemed but for a vile abject utterly cast away without desert and therefore good master kingston stand up or i will myself kneel down by you with that mr kingston stood up saying with humble reverence sir the king's majesty hath him commanded unto you i thank his highness quoth my lord i trust he be in health and merry the which i beseech god long continue yea without doubt quoth master kingston and so hath he commanded me first to say unto you that you should assure yourself that he beareth you as much good will and favor as ever he did and willeth you to be of good cheer and where report hath been made unto him that ye should commit against his royal majesty certain heinous crimes which he thinketh to be untrue yet for the administration of justice in such cases requisite and to avoid all suspect partiality he can do no less at the least than to send for you to your trial mistrusting nothing your truth and wisdom but that ye shall be able to acquit yourself against all complaints and accusations exhibited against you and to take your journey towards him at your own pleasure commanding me to be attendant upon you with ministration of due reverence and to see your person preserved from all damage and inconveniences that might ensue and to elect all such your old servants now his to answer you by the way who have most experience of your diet therefore sir i beseech your grace to be of good cheer and when it shall be your good pleasure to take your journey i shall give mine attendance master kingston quoth my lord i thank you for your good news and sir hereof assure yourself that if i were as able and as lusty as i have been but of late i would not fail to ride with you in post but sir i am diseased with a flux that maketh me very weak but master kingston all these comfortable words which ye have spoken be but for a purpose to bring me in a fool's paradise i know what is provided for me notwithstanding i thank you for your good will and pains taken about me and i shall with all speed make me ready to ride with you to-morrow and thus they fell into other communication both the earl and master kingston with my lord who commanded me to foresee and provide that all things might be made ready to depart the morrow after i caused all things to be trussed up and made in a readiness as fast as they could conveniently when night came that we should go to bed my lord waxed very sick through his new disease the which caused him continually from time to time to go to the stool all that night insomuch from the time that his disease took him unto the next day he had often fifty stools so that he was that day very weak the matter that he voided was wondrous black the which physicians call collar adusine and when he perceived it he said to me if i have not some help shortly it will cost me my life with that i caused one dr nicholas a physician being with the earl to look upon the gross matter that he voided upon sight whereof he determined how he should not live past four or five days yet 
notwithstanding he would have written with master kingston that same day if the earl of shrewsbury had not been therefore in consideration of his infirmity they caused him to tarry all that day and the next day he took his journey with master kingston and the guard and as soon as they espied their old master in such a lamentable estate lamented him with weeping eyes whom my lord took by the hands and divers times by the way as he rode he would talk with them sometime with one and sometime with another at night he was lodged at a house of the earl of shrewsbury's called hardwick hall note this was hardwick upon line in nottinghamshire not hardwick in derbyshire End of note. very evil at ease the next day he rode to nottingham and there lodged that night more sicker and the next day he rode to leicester abbey and by the way he waxed so sick that he was divers times likely to have fallen from his mule and being night or we came to the abbey aforesaid where at his coming in at the gates the abbot of the place with all his convent met him with the light of many torches whom they right honorably received with great reverence to whom my lord said father abbot i am come hither to leave my bones among you whom they brought on his mule to the stairs foot of his chamber and there lighted and master kingdom then took him by the arm and led him up the stairs who told me afterwards that he never carried so heavy a burden in all his life and as soon as he was in his chamber he went incontinent to his bed very sick this was upon saturday at night and there he continued sicker and sicker upon monday in the morning as i stood by his bedside about eight of the clock the windows being closed shut having wax lights burning upon the cupboard i beheld him as he seemed drawing fast to his end he perceived my shadow upon the wall by his bedside asked who was there sir i am here quoth i how do you quoth he to me very well sir quoth i if i might see your grace well what is it of the clock said he to me forsooth sir said i it is past eight of the clock in the morning eight of the clock quoth he that cannot be rehearsing divers times eight of the clock eight of the clock nay nay quoth he at the last it cannot be eight of the clock for by eight of the clock ye shall lose your master for my time draweth near that i must depart out of this world with that master dr palms a worshipful gentleman being his chaplain and ghostly father standing by bade me secretly demand of him if he would be shriven and to be in a readiness towards god whatsoever should chance at whose desire i asked him that question what have you to do quoth he to ask me such a question and began to be very angry with me for my presumption until at last master doctor took my part and talked with him in latin and so pacified him and after dinner master kingston sent for me into his chamber and at my being there said to me so it is that the king hath sent me letters by this gentleman master vincent one of your old companions who hath been of late in trouble in the tower of london for money that my lord should have at his last 
departing from him, which now cannot be found. Wherefore the king, at this gentleman's request, for the declaration of his truth, hath sent him hither with his grace's letters directed unto me, commanding me by virtue thereof to examine my lord in that behalf, and to have your counsel herein, how it may be done, that he may take it well and in good part. This is the chief cause of my sending for you, wherefore I pray you what is your best counsel to use in this matter for the true acquittal of this gentleman. Sir, quoth I, as touching that matter, my simple advice shall be this, that your own person shall resort unto him and visit him, and in communication break the matter unto him, and if he will not tell the truth, there be that can satisfy the king's pleasure therein, and in any wise speak nothing of my fellow Vincent, and I would not advise you to tract the time with him, for he is very sick, and I fear me he will not live past to-morrow in the morning. Then went Master Kingston unto him, and asked first how he did, and so forth proceeded in communication, wherein Master Kingston demanded of him the said money, saying, that my lord of Northumberland hath found a book at Cawood, that reporteth how ye had but late fifteen hundred pounds in ready money, and one penny thereof will not be found, who hath made the king privy by his letters thereof. Wherefore the king hath written unto me, to demand it of ye if ye do know where it is become, for it were pity that it should be embezzled from you both. Therefore I shall require you in the king's name to tell me the truth herein, to the intent that I may make such report unto his majesty what answer ye make therein. With that my lord paused a while and said, Ah, good lord, how much doth it grieve me that the king should think in me such deceit, wherein I should deceive him of any one penny that I have rather than I would, Master Kingston, embezzle or deceive him of a mite, I would it were molt and put in my mouth, which words he spake twice or thrice very vehemently. I have nothing, nor never had, Cod being my judge, that I esteemed or had in it any such delight or pleasure, but that I took it for the king's goods having but the bare use of the same during my life, and after my death to leave it to the king, wherein he hath but prevented my intent and purpose. And for this money that ye demand of me, I assure you, it is none of mine, for I borrowed it of divers of my friends to bury me, and to bestow among my servants, who have taken great pains about me, like true and faithful men, notwithstanding if it be his pleasure to take this money from me, I must hold me therewith content, yet I would most humbly beseech his majesty to see them satisfied of whom I borrowed the same for the discharge of my conscience. Who be they? quoth Master Kingston. That shall I show you, said my lord. I borrowed two hundred pounds thereof, of Sir John Allen of London, and two hundred pounds of Sir Richard Gresham, and two 
hundred pounds of the master of the Savoy, and two hundred pounds of Dr. Hickton, dean of my college in Oxford, and two hundred pounds of the treasurer of the Church of York, and two hundred pounds of the dean of York, and two hundred pounds of Parson Ellis, my chaplain, and a hundred pounds of my steward, whose name I have forgotten, trusting that the king will restore them again their money, for it is none of mine. Sir, quoth Master Kingdom, there is no doubt in the king. Ye need not to mistrust that, but when the king shall be advertised thereof, to whom I shall make report of your request, that his grace will do as shall become him. But, sir, I pray you, where is this money? Master Kingston, quoth he, I will not conceal it from the king. I will declare it to you, or I die, by the grace of God. Take a little patience with me, I pray you. Well, sir, then I will trouble you no more at this time, trusting that ye will show me to-morrow. Yea, that I will, Master Kingston, for the money is safe enough, and in an honest man's keeping, who will not keep one penny from the king. And then Master Kingston went to his chamber to supper. End of section 28section twenty nine of the life and death of cardinal wolsey this librivox recording is in the public domain read by john greenman part twenty nine howbeit my lord waxed very sick most likeliest to die that night and often swooned and as methought drew fast towards his end until it was four of the clock in the morning at which time i asked him how he did well quoth he if i had any meat i pray you give me some sir there is none ready said i i wish ye be the more to blame for you should have always some meat for me in a readiness to eat when my stomach serveth me therefore i pray you get me some for i intend this day god willing to make me strong to the intent I may occupy myself in confession, and make me ready to God. Then, sir, quoth I, I will call up the cook to provide some meat for you, and will also, if it be your pleasure, call for Master Palms, that ye may commune with him until your meat be ready. With a good will, quoth he. And therewith I went first, and called up the cook, commanding him to prepare some meat for my lord, and then I went to Master Palms, and told him what case my lord was in, willing him to rise, and to resort to him with speed. And then I went to Master Kingston, and gave him warning, that, as I thought, he would not live, advertising him that if he had anything to say to him that he should make haste, for he was in great danger. In good faith, quoth Master Kingston, ye be to blame, for ye make him believe that he is sicker and in more danger than he is. Well, sir, quoth I, ye shall not say another day but that I gave you warning, as I am bound to do, in discharge of my duty. Therefore I pray you, whatso end shall chance, let no negligence be ascribed to me herein, for I assure you his life is very short. 
do therefore now as you think best yet nevertheless he rose and made him ready and came to him after he had eaten of a cullis made of a chicken a spoonful or two at the last quoth he whereof was this cullis made forsooth sir quoth i of a chicken why quoth he it is fasting day and st andrew's eve what though sir quoth dr palms ye be excused by reason of your sickness yea quoth he what though i will eat no more then was he in confession the space of an hour and when he had ended his confession master kingston bade him good morrow for it was about seven of the clock in the morning and asked him how he did sir quoth he i tarry but the will and pleasure of god to render unto him my simple soul into his divine hands not yet so sir quoth master kingston with the grace of god ye shall live and do very well if ye will be of good cheer master kingston my disease is such that i cannot live i have had some experience in my disease and thus it is i have a flux with a continual fever the nature whereof is this that if there be no alteration with me of the same within eight days then must either ensue excoriation of the entrails or frenzy or else present death and the best thereof is death and as i suppose this is the eighth day and if ye see in me no alteration then is there no remedy although i may live a day or twain but death which is the best remedy of the three nay sir in good faith quoth master kingston ye be in such dolor and pensiveness doubting that thing indeed ye need not to fear which maketh you much worse than ye should be well well master kingston quoth he i see the matter against me how it is framed but if i had served god as diligently as i have done the king he would not have given me over in my gray hairs howbeit this is the just reward that i must receive for my worldly diligence and pains that i have had to do him service only to satisfy his vain pleasure not regarding my godly duty wherefore i pray you with all my heart to have me most humbly commended unto his royal majesty beseeching him in my behalf to call to his most gracious remembrance all matters proceeding between him and me from the beginning of the world unto this day and the progress of the same and most chiefly in the weighty matter yet depending meaning the matter newly began between him and good queen catherine then shall his conscience declare whether i have offended him or no he is sure a prince of royal courage and hath a princely heart and rather than he will either miss or want any part of his will or appetite he will put the loss of one half of his realm in danger for i assure you i have often kneeled before him in his privy chamber on my knees 
the space of an hour or two to persuade him from his will and appetite, but I could never bring to pass to dissuade him therefrom. Therefore, Master Kingston, if it chance hereafter you to be one of his privy counsel, as for your wisdom and other qualities ye be meet so to be, I warn you to be well advised and assured what matter ye put in his head, for ye shall never put it out again. And say furthermore that I request his grace in God's name that he have a vigilant eye to depress this new pernicious sect of the Lutherans, that it do not increase within his dominions through his negligence in such a sort as that he shall be fain at length to put harness upon his back to subdue them, as the king of Bohemia did, who had good game to see his rude commons, then infected with Wycliffe's heresies, to spoil and murder the spiritual men and religious persons of his realm, the which fled to the king and his nobles for succor against their frantic rage, of whom they could get no help of defense or refuge, but laughed them to scorn, having good game at their spoil and consumption, not regarding their duties nor their own defense. And when these erroneous heretics had subdued all the clergy and spiritual persons, taking the spoil of their riches, both of churches, monasteries, and all other spiritual things, having no more to spoil, they caught such a courage of their former liberty that then they disdained their prince and sovereign lord with all other noble personages and the head governors of the country, and began to fall in hand with the temporal lords to slay and spoil them without pity or mercy most cruelly, insomuch that the king and other his nobles were constrained to put harness upon their backs to resist the ungodly powers of those traitorous heretics, and to defend their lives and liberties who pitched a field royal against them, in which field these traitors so stoutly encountered, that the part of them were so cruel and vehement that in fine they were victors, and slew the king, the lords, and all the gentlemen of the realm, leaving not one person that bear the name or port of a gentleman alive, or of any person that had any rule or authority in the commonweal. By means of which slaughter they have lived ever since in great misery and poverty, without a head or governor, but lived all in common like wild beasts, abhorred of all Christian nations. Let this be to him an evident example to avoid the like danger, I pray you. Good Master Kingston, there is no trust in routs or unlawful assemblies of the common people. For when the riotous multitude be assembled, 
there is among them no mercy or consideration of their bounden duty as in the history of king richard the second one of his noble progenitors which lived in that same time of wycliffe's seditious opinions did not the commons i pray you rise against the king and the nobles of the realm of england whereof some they apprehended whom they without mercy or justice put to death and did they not fall to spoiling and robbery to the intent they might bring all things in common and at the last without discretion or reverence spared not in their rage to take the king's most royal person out of the tower of london and carried him about the city most presumptuously causing him for the preservation of his life to be agreeable to their lewd proclamations did not also the traitorous heretic sir john oldcastle pitch a field against king henry v against whom the king was constrained to encounter in his royal person to whom god gave the victory alas master kingston if these be not plain precedents and sufficient persuasions to admonish a prince to be circumspect against the semblable mischief and if he be so negligent then will god strike and take from him his power and diminish his regality taking from him his prudent counsellors and valiant captains and leave us in our own hands without his help and aid and then will ensue mischief upon mischief inconvenience upon inconvenience barrenness and scarcity of all things for lack of good order in the commonwealth to the utter destruction and desolation of this noble realm from which mischiefs god for his tender mercy defend us master kingston farewell i can no more but wish all things to have good success my time draweth on fast i may not tarry with you and forget not i pray you what i have said and charged you withal for when i am dead ye shall peradventure remember my words much better and even with these words he began to draw his speech at length and his tongue to fail his eyes being set in his head whose sight failed him then we began to put him in remembrance of christ's passion and sent for the abbot of the place to anneal him who came with all speed and ministered unto him all the service to the same belonging and caused also the guard to stand by both to hear him talk before his death and also to witness of the same and incontinent the clock struck eight at which time he gave up the ghost and thus departed he this present life and calling to our remembrance his words the day before how he said that at eight of the clock we should lose our master one of us looking upon another supposing that he prophesied of his departure end of section twenty nine
Section 30 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 30 here is the end and fall of pride and arrogancy of such men exalted by fortune to honors and high dignities for i assure you in his time of authority and glory he was the oldest man in all his proceedings that then lived having more respect to the worldly honor of his person than he had to his spiritual profession wherein should be all meekness humility and charity the process whereof i leave to them that be learned and seen in the divine laws after that he was thus departed master kingston sent an impost to the king to advertise him of the death of the late cardinal of york by one of the guard that both saw and heard him talk and die and then master kingston calling me unto him and to the abbot went to the consultation for the order of his burial after divers communications it was thought good that he should be buried the next day following for master kingston would not tarry the return of the impost and it was further thought good that the mayor of leicester and his brethren should be sent for to see him personally dead in avoiding of false rumors that might hap to say that he was not dead but still living then was the mayor and his brethren sent for and in the meantime the body was taken out of the bed where he lay dead who had upon him next his body a shirt of hair besides his other shirt which was of very fine linen holland cloth this shirt of hair was unknown to all his servants being continually attending upon him in his bedchamber except to his chaplain which was his ghostly father wherein he was buried and laid in a coffin of boards having upon his dead corpse all such vestures and ornaments as he was professed in when he was consecrated bishop and archbishop as mitre crozier ring and pall with all other things appurtenant to his profession and lying thus all day in his coffin open and barefaced that all men might see him lie there dead without feigning then when the mayor his brethren and all other had seen him lying thus until four or five of the clock at night he was carried so down into the church with great solemnity by the abbot and convent with many torches light singing such service as is due for such funerals and being in the church the corpse was set in our lady chapel with many and divers tapers of wax burning about the hearse and divers poor men sitting about the same holding of torches lighted in their hands who watched about the dead body all night whilst the canons sang dirige and other devout orisons and about four of the clock in the morning they sang mass and that done and the body interred master kingston with us being his servants were present at his said funeral and offered at his mass and by that time that all things was finished and all ceremonies that to such a person was decent and convenient it was about six of the clock in the morning then prepared we to horseback being st andrew's day the apostle and so took our journey towards the court being at hampton court where the king then lay 
and after we came thither which was upon st nicholas eve we gave attendance upon the council for our depeche upon the morrow i was sent for by the king to come to his grace and being in master kingston's chamber in the court had knowledge thereof and repairing to the king i found him shooting at the rounds in the park on the back side of the garden and perceiving him occupied in shooting thought it not my duty to trouble him but leaned to a tree intending to stand there and to attend his gracious pleasure being in a great study at the last the king came suddenly behind me where i stood and clapped his hand upon my shoulder and when i perceived him i fell upon my knee to whom he said calling me by name i will quoth he make an end of my game and then will i talk with you and so departed to his mark whereat the game was ended then the king delivered his bow to the yeomen of his bows and went his way inward to the place whom i followed howbeit he called for sir john gage with whom he talked until he came at the garden postern gate and there entered the gate being shut after him which caused me to go my ways and being gone but a little distance the gate was opened again and there sir harry norris called me again commanding me to come in to the king who stood behind the door in a nightgown of russet velvet furred with sables before whom i kneeled down being with him there all alone the space of an hour and more during which time he examined me of divers weighty matters concerning my lord wishing that lever than twenty thousand pounds that he had lived then he asked me for the fifteen hundred pounds which master kingston moved to my lord before his death sir said i i think that i can tell your grace partly where it is yea can you quoth the king then i pray you tell me and you shall do us much pleasure nor it shall not be unrewarded sir said i if it please your highness after the departure of david vincent from my lord at scroby who had then the custody thereof leaving the same with my lord in divers bags sealed with my lord's seal he delivered the same money in the same bag sealed unto a certain priest whom i named to the king safely to keep to his use is this true quoth the king yea sir quoth i without all doubt the priest shall not be able to deny it in my presence for i was at the delivery thereof well then quoth the king let me alone keep this gear secret between yourself and me and let no man be privy thereof for if i hear any more of it then i know by whom it is come to knowledge three may quoth he keep counsel if two be away and if i thought that my cap knew my counsel i would cast it into the fire and burn it and for your truth and honesty ye shall be one of our servants and in that same room with us that ye were with your old master therefore go to sir john gage our vice-chamberlain to whom i have spoken already to give you your oath and to admit you our servant in the same room and then go to my lord of norfolk and he shall pay you all your whole year's wages which is ten pounds is it not so quoth the king yes forsooth sir quoth i and i am behind thereof for three-quarters of a year that is true quoth the king 
for so we be informed therefore ye shall have your whole year's wages with our reward delivered you by the duke of norfolk the king also promised me furthermore to be my singular good and gracious lord whensoever occasion should serve and thus i departed from him and as i went i met with master kingston coming from the council who commanded me in their names to go straight unto them whom they had sent for by him and in any wise quoth he for god's sake take good heed what ye say for ye shall be examined of such certain words as my lord your late master had at his departure and if you tell them the truth quoth he what he said you shall undo yourself for in any wise they will not hear of it therefore be circumspect what answer ye make to their demands why sir quoth i how have ye done therein yourself marry quoth he i have utterly denied that ever i heard any such words and he that opened the matter first is fled for fear which was the yeoman of the guard that rode empost to the king from leicester therefore go your ways god send you good speed and when you have done come to me into the chamber of presence where i shall tarry your coming to see how you speed and to know how ye have done with the king thus i departed and went directly to the council chamber door and as soon as i was come i was called in among them and being there my lord of norfolk spake to me first and bade me welcome to the court and said my lords this gentleman hath both justly and painfully served the cardinal his master like an honest and diligent servant therefore i doubt not but of such questions as ye shall demand of him he will make just report i dare undertake the same for him how say ye it is reported that your master spake certain words even before his departure out of this life the truth whereof i doubt not ye know and as ye know i pray you report and fear not for no man ye shall not need to swear him therefore go to how say you is it true that is reported forsooth sir quoth i i was so diligent attending more to the preservation of his life than i was to note and mark every word that he spake and sir indeed he spake many idle words as men in such extremities do the which i cannot now remember if it please your lordships to call before you master kingston he will not fail to show you the truth marry so have we done already quoth they who hath been here presently before us and hath denied utterly that ever he heard any such words spoken by your master at the time of his death or at any time before forsooth my lords quoth i then i can say no more for if he heard them not i could not hear them for he heard as much as i and i as much as he therefore my lords it were much folly for me to declare anything of untruth which i am not able to justify lo quoth my lord of norfolk i told you as much before therefore go your ways quoth he to me you are dismissed and come again to my chamber anon for i must needs talk with you i most humbly thanked them and so departed and went into the chamber of presence to meet with master kingston 
whom I found standing in communication with an ancient gentleman, usher of the King's Privy Council called Master Radcliffe, and at my coming Master Kingston demanded of me if I had been with the Council, and what answer I made them. I said again that I had satisfied them sufficiently with my answer, and told him the manner of it. And then he asked me how I sped with the King, and I told him partly of our communication, and of his grace's benevolence and princely liberality, and how he commanded me to go to my lord of Norfolk. As we were speaking of him, he came from the council into the chamber of presence. As soon as he espied me, he came into the window where I stood with Master Kingston and Master Radcliffe, to whom I declared the king's pleasure. These two gentlemen desired him to be my good lord. Nay, quoth he, I will be better unto him than ye ween, for if I could have spoken with him before he came to the king, I would have had him to my service. The king accepted, he should have done no man's service in all England but only me. And look what I may do for you, I will do it with right good will. Sir, then, quoth I, will it please your grace to move the king's majesty in my behalf, to give me one of the carts and horses that brought up my stuff with my lord's, which is now in the tower, to carry it into my country. Yea, marry will I, quoth he, and returned again to the king, for whom I tarried still with Master Kingston and Master Radcliffe, who said that he would go in and help my lord in my suit with the king. And incontinent my lord came forth and showed me how the king was my good and gracious lord, and had given me six of the best horses that I could choose amongst all my lord's cart-horses, with a cart to carry my stuff, and five marks for my costs homewards. And hath commanded me, quoth he, to deliver you ten pounds for your wages, being behind unpaid, and twenty pounds for a reward, who commanded to call for a master secretary to make a warrant for all these things. Then was it told him that master secretary was gone to Hanworth for that night. Then commanded he one of the messengers of the chamber to ride unto him in all haste for these warrants, and willed me to meet with him the next day at London, and there to receive both my money, my stuff, and horses that the king gave me. And so I did of whom I received all things according, and then I returned into my country. And thus ended the life of my late lord and master, the rich and triumphant legate and cardinal of England, on whose soul Jesu have mercy. Amen. Finis quod G. C. Who list to read and consider with an indifferent eye this history, may behold the wondrous mutability of vain honors, brittle assurance of abundance, the uncertainty of dignities, the flattering of feigned friends, and the tickle trust to worldly princes, whereof this Lord Cardinal hath felt both of the sweet and the sour in each degree, as fleeting from honors, losing of riches, deposed from dignities, forsaken of friends, and the inconstantness of prince's favor, of all which things he hath had in this world the full felicity 
as long as fortune smiled upon him but when she began to frown how soon was he deprived of all these dreaming joys and vain pleasures the which in twenty years with great travail study and pains obtained were in one year and less with heaviness care and sorrow lost and consumed o oh, madness o oh, foolish desire o oh, fond hope o oh, greedy desire of vain honors dignities and riches oh what inconstant trust and assurance is in rolling fortune wherefore the prophet said full well tesorisat et ignorat qui congregabit ea who is certain to whom he shall leave his treasure and riches that he hath gathered together in this world it may chance him to leave it unto such as he hath proposed but the wise man saith that another person who peradventure he hated in his life shall spend it out and consume it end of section thirty and end of the life and death of cardinal wolsey by george cavendish what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission at u.s customs and border protection we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore air to ground cities to local communities cbp agents and officers are keeping people safe Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.